Also, before we kick this one off, there is obviously a rather large elephant in the room that we have to deal with. Uh, so disappointed, but, uh, well, if you haven't seen it yet, the new Mortal Kombat is out, and I have to say, as being somebody that played it in the arcade as a kid and enjoyed the first movies as campy as they were, I really was really had mixed feelings about this new one. It was just such a promising setup, and then it just kind of all fell apart because apparently the studio stuck a new person in there. So for those of you that, you know, that a lot of people have been asking me, I'm, I have to watch it again. I'm still, we watch it as a family Friday night and just, okay, I'm totally kidding. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, obviously some shenanigans went on this week and things got rather interesting and I've had several people contact me about it and ask if I'd seen it and whatever. And it's been, I, honestly, the whole thing's been kind of funny to me for all the wrong reasons. But I, I think the issue is, is how do I put this? Unfortunately, with the hobby, we've become partisan. And I think it's because there are a lot of, you know, big names and big faces out there that are presenting this information that have their own take on it and people follow them. Fandom is, you know, it can be very, a very, very tricky thing. Like I often say, I don't really want fans. I just want people to go, hey, thank you for the information. That's it for me. It's like, I don't consider the kids I'm teaching at school fans. They're, they're kids. They're, you know, people I care deeply about. They're ones that I'm responsible for teaching, but I don't like the fan thing because as soon as you do the fan thing, it makes you turn a blind eye to issues that may be rather apparent to others. So Plus, it also makes things, when you're talking about a topic, now it becomes, again, partisan. And in my little perfect world in my head, logic and common sense shouldn't be a partisan thing. It should be something everybody possesses and can exercise. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. So I I thought long and hard about my response, and I figured people are going to be coming over like, oh, here we go. Here is my response. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the inherent risks in the hobby. This was actually supposed to be last week's episode and obviously got pushed out of the way by something else, but I got contacted by someone. And again, a lot of times I think people are afraid to approach the the personalities because of course they've always got to be right. And I will say that one thing I try to do, and, and for me, I want to make this very, very clear. For me, it's not about being right because I don't want to be embarrassed for being wrong. It's about I want to be right because I don't want to be an idiot and give people wrong information. It's not an ego thing for me. It's not I have to be proven right all the time. I think I I try to do a good job of pointing out areas that it's a gray area. But for me, it's I don't mind when people approach me with things that they have a differing opinion on because what ends up happening is it gets me thinking. We can all get in these lines of thinking where we're comfortable with what we're doing. It's the right thing to do. We continue with it just because it's it's become kind of systematic and perfunctory. There's no real emotion. We just do stuff because that's the way we've always done it. So sometimes when somebody challenges you with a different take on it, obviously your first reaction, I think everybody's first reaction is to be like, whoa, hold on a minute. But if you're smart and logical, what you do is you kick back and kind of look at it and go, hmm, this there may be something to this, or could I look at this a different way? So anyway, I'm going to read the letter, and trust me, I will not say the person's name. I, I think he was afraid I was going to like make him out to be crazy. He is not crazy at all. I thought this was an incredibly well-written, thoughtful, 
letter, there was one line that I'll point out that kind of got to me, but he explained himself and I get where he's going with it. But I do like getting stuff like this. Sometimes I just got a comment on one of my YouTube videos where somebody gave me an alternate perspective and the dude was right. Like it wasn't even, it's like, yeah, you know what? That's a very good point. So let's go through the letter and then we'll go break it down a little bit. Hey, Tom, I'm a longtime reader and relatively new listener to the podcast. Your blog was the first resource I found when I got my first tarantula back in 2014. Right there, that caught my attention. And I've been a big fan ever since. This might sound weird, but I see a lot of myself in you. My first spider was a wild-caught rose hair that we lucked out on and ended up a female. After a near-disastrous molt confusion around two years ago, I almost preserved her in alcohol alive. I still cringe thinking about what could have happened. I started getting new tarantulas because it hammered in how important she was to me. When I heard your own rose hair story, I was shocked because of the similarities. Yeah, that's about spot on as far as the queen. And anybody that doesn't know, he's referring to the story where when I first had her, she was flipped on her back before I went to work. Usually I bury my animals. I would have buried her, but it was early in the morning. I figured I'd do it when I got home. She was molting. So I, I point that out there when people talk about you know mistakes that they have made in the hobby to kind of show that, hey, we've all been there. And so that story is literally spot on what I went through. I've been sitting on a semi-light criticism I was nervous about broaching you with for a while, but your recent podcast where you shared your worst hobby mistakes, plus the fact that I'm a former teacher as well, amen, and as we both know, teaching is all about feedback, it sure is, made me realize you'd probably appreciate the chance to hear it out and possibly see an alternative perspective on the topic. So I figured, hey, we'll say what the heck here. It's about crickets as feeders, particularly in relation to a podcast you did last year about isopods. I'm a big bioactive proponent, currently maintaining successful tropical and arid bioactives, but always experimenting and learning, and I like to use dwarf isopods in them. So when I heard your show and the evidence of the possible danger in isopods, I was somewhat taken aback. I've since done a bunch of research into dwarf species and come to the conclusion that if my husbandry is on point, it's a risk that's highly mitigable, so I've continued using them thus far. However, something you said in that podcast rubbed me the wrong way a little. You said that no matter how little the risk, you wouldn't subject your spiders to it. This is also a perspective I've heard you give on handling and tong feeding, both of which I had agreed with. The problem is you also have said repeatedly that you're a big fan of crickets as feeders, and that seems slightly hypocritical. Even barring the very real possibility of making a mistake and ending up with a cricket chomping on the tarantula, which I agree is very avoidable and only really concerned with the more reclusive fossorial species, there is a bigger concern, disease and fungal infection. I've seen and read a bunch of stories online about how a bad batch of crickets infected a tarantula or multiple, leading to its untimely death. This is ultimately what made me swear off crickets forever. I can monitor feeding them any day, but a possibly unnoticeable infection? Never again, especially with tarantula medicine still being in the Stone Age, so to speak. Now, don't get me wrong, there's not a lot of empirical evidence for most anything in this hobby, so the stories I've heard could be sheer coincidence for all we know but it feels like such an unnecessary risk when safe and clean feeders like roaches exist. And if you're not willing to risk putting isopods into an enclosure, which there really isn't any good alternative for when keeping a bioactive, which I do know isn't necessarily your thing, I do realize, why risk something like this? Ultimately, I'm not trying to attack you or change your point of view. I just thought you'd appreciate the feedback and a differing perspective. I sure do. Hope I don't make the podcast as a belligerent fan yelling at you. I kid. Take care, man, and congrats on the move. You all have more than earned it. So again, just to be very 100% clear, this was not something I opened up and went, you jerk. It, nothing. It, I read this over a couple times. I actually responded once, and I started writing out my second response, and I realized it would be a good topic to cover completely because it, it's there's a lot of food for thought there. So I, I think looking at some of the things that are said in this uh, – one thing that I, I just want to talk about because I've, I've received a lot of 
lately something happened. I think somebody put a video up and I, I'm pretty sure it's a YouTuber and this isn't going to be a disparaging thing. I'm just going to say what I know is the facts. YouTuber put up a video talking about how they had lost some tarantulas and they had come to the conclusion that the tarantulas were being, you know, they were being killed off by bacteria or infection or something brought to them by the crickets. And I could pretty much probably find the video when the video came out because this was right around the time I started getting emails from people saying, I know you use crickets. Should you stop? Should I use crickets? They're going to kill my tarantulas. And it's tough because this is a really tricky topic because it's one... I can talk about what we have now as far as current information. I can talk about some stats and stuff, but there, the jury's still out on how this works as far as I know. I did ask the person who wrote this if he had any current information because it, I, I will tell you flat out, the thing about the crickets is not new. It popped up in the 90s. It's popped up every time somebody finds something like nematodes or something in their tarantulas. They, the talk goes back to it's probably from crickets. Uh, you hear that it, he put in here the bad batch, I believe, was in quotes. And it's funny that those words were used because the bad batch of crickets has been used quite a bit over the years to talk about, you know, I just lost a bunch of tarantulas. The only thing I can think of is I had a bad batch of crickets. I've heard people say that the crickets look half dead and then their tarantulas ate them and died. I've had people say that they fed them dead crickets that were freshly dead and then they got sick, whatever it may be. But this is not an, a new idea. As far as this YouTuber is concerned, I don't know what the situation is. I mean, personally, we've talked about, I've done podcasts on what happens when tarantulas die and I try to figure out what went wrong. And we talked about when I had that mass die off uh, several years back during the winter because I had tainted substrate and how I was going nuts trying to figure out the cause. So what ends up happening? I don't blame them at all. You you have a situation where you lose a couple things and you start going, oh, wait a minute, this isn't a coincidence. What could be killing off multiple animals? Now, I do think the first place you should always start is how you're keeping them. Are they too moist? Are they dank? Do they have enough room? Are you keeping fossorials? And we've talked about the enclosures. If they sit too long and they're not a bioactive setup, that stuff, just kind of the bacteria starts to pull in the bottom. And I think that can cause or create a very toxic environment for the spider. There are many things that could cause an issue with the spider that doesn't involve feeders. And like we said, the veterinary, we are going to get a vet on here. We're going back and forth. We're playing uh, email tag right now, but we'll talk about some of these and hear how veterinary medicine is looking at this stuff right now. But there's not a lot of scientific data to back this up. What happens is occasionally it bubbles up because somebody has some deaths and they go, oh, it's the crickets. But you do have to realize that crickets, if I'm not mistaken, are the most used feeder insect worldwide. Billions upon billions are used. And they've been used for, I mean, since I've gotten into the hobby and started keeping animals that need crickets back in, uh, I think, the mid-90s or so when I started keeping animals that required feeder insects, we've been using them for ever and billions upon billions of them. So I logically speaking, this is what we're going to approach this because I, again, I don't think there's a definitive answer, but I have to say with all the people that have used them throughout the years, I'm sure there's been some instances where people have gotten a bad batch of crickets. I, it doesn't necessarily sound unrealistic that uh, crickets could become infected with something. I don't, I don't know. I, there's not a lot of evidence for it, but it doesn't sound unrealistic. So I'm not going to poo poo it, but I got to ask how many times has this happened with all the people doing crickets? And now we have a situation where we have social media being the way it is with all the tarantula groups and everything else. People exchange information all the time. You go on any of those groups, there's a million people asking questions during the course of a day. And we're not getting a lot of, hey, I think I just lost my whole tarantula collection. I lost a bunch of tarantulas because of crickets. So what I'm trying to impart here is for me, it comes down to necessity and 
risk versus reward kind of. And we'll talk about a couple of different things in the hobby that we all sometimes gamble with. I shouldn't say we all gamble with, but many of us gamble with. And then sometimes we get caught, sometimes we don't. And that's going to kind of be the subject matter of this one is those, you know, figuring out is the risk worth it. With the crickets, my thought process and my explanation would be, A, yes, I do have three roach colonies going. A lot of times I can't keep them going fast enough for what I need. It's like I either get too many or I keep it slowed down a little bit. Plus, with the crickets, the reason I use crickets, I'm not encouraging others to use them. I want to make that very clear. The feeder thing, it's one of the reasons on my videos, anybody that's watched one of my videos will see that I'll say you can use, and I'll list everything, including locusts, that we can't get here in the United States. I'll say you can use mealworms, superworms, roaches, crickets, whatever you need. So I'm not endorsing crickets. I think I've explained before the reason I use crickets is because I do have 200 plus animals over here. And I am a ninja when it comes to grabbing crickets with tongs. It's like Danielson with the fly in the Karate Kid. I'm very good with catching the crickets with the tongs. Now, that's not me bragging. This is literally, I have a hard time catching the roach. They're, they're tougher to catch. So every time I try to feed with roaches, it takes me much longer to get the insects, to catch them. Sometimes you get the, I use the B-lats and they secrete this slimy stuff that gets all over. Anybody that's used them knows what I'm talking about, this clear stuff that kind of gums up the tongs. It's, it's just easier for me to use crickets and knock on wood because I'm not dispelling the fact there could be an issue there. If I'm not mistaken, there is some studies going going on right now about nematodes and crickets and if they can trans- uh, transfer them to tarantulas. And I'm eagerly awaiting the results of this because there's some interesting things coming out of it, but I, I can't talk about it yet. But there's, I've not seen any indication that this is a big threat to me, at least not like you talk about chances. What are the chances of this happening? What are the chances of this box of quote unquote bad crickets killing your tarantulas. I don't think it's that high at all. And again, I have to look at, you know, the source. It bubbles up every once in a while. In this case, I do believe it was that YouTuber has sworn them completely off, and that's fine. And the other thing I'd like to point out, that YouTuber is not in the United States. And I'm not sure, obviously, there could be other parasites that are endemic to his region that we don't have here. So that's always something to think about. When I hear people from tropical areas and different climates that might have different types of parasites and whatnot that could infect these animals, they might have different species of crickets that they're using. We don't know if there's a difference there. It could be in different areas of the world. I would guess there are things that could infect them that might be different than what we have maybe in the UK or in the US. So that's something to consider. So when I, again, this is all about mitigating those risks and considering which risks are worth it. For me, I see it as such, it's like they need to eat. I can get crickets. I work with crickets well. I have not seen any sign of what people have been saying. I hope this doesn't bite me in the butt. And if it does, you guys will all hear about it. I'll be like, yep, guess what? I swore off crickets. It happened. So don't think this is me just digging in. I'm not. But it's kind of like when I hop in the car in the morning. Is there always a risk that I'm going to get, I hate to say it, an axe or something? Yeah, it's always there. Anything you do comes with risk. And I think that's comparable where there is a slight risk. I do have things I can control in that situation where in the crickets, I don't. If you get a bad batch, you get a bad batch. But It's similar in that there's certain things you need to do and you need to assume the risk for. Now, for the bioactives, I think my answer to the comparing that to the isopods and the bioactives, and I'm going to revisit the isopod thing in a minute because I do think he made some absolutely valid points there, and I think he called me out on something that I should probably answer to. But as far as the, uh, I would argue you don't need to do 
a bioactive enclosure. They're great. People like them. I have a buddy of mine that will t- that is very knowledgeable about them, will tell you the benefits of them, and I agree. I've seen some proof of it, but you don't, the majority of people don't keep tarantulas and bioactive. So again, I would argue it's not quite similar because I do need to feed my tarantulas. Yes, there are other things out there I can feed them, and that's, you know, valid point, but I do need to feed them. That's what I've got right now. And there are other places where they can't get roaches that need to use crickets. So there are other places where roaches are illegal because they could be an invasive species that they have to use crickets. That needs to take into account. So that's a necessity. The bioactives are not. So my argument would be, well, then you don't do a bioactive or you create just a regular people in the UK have been doing this for years. It's like a big deal in the US now. Like, oh my God, we put plants in there. Folks overseas have been doing the aquariums and the cages with plants in them for ages. That's not a big deal to them. It's not a bioactive enclosure. And that needs to be you know pointed out. There's a difference between a bioactive and somebody putting a plant in a closure and keeping the plant alive to give the tarantula some you know place to hide behind a web too to just create some you know better oxygenated environment. Those are two very different things. And I think we need to address that at some point coming up, the difference between bioactive and I'm putting a plant in my enclosure. Right now Tom's big spiders is not doing any bioactives. I'm putting plants in my enclosures. And I do use springtails, which are harmless. I have kept springtails with teeny tiny slings. They will blow up and they don't hurt the slings. The slings will eat the springtails. It's lovely. With the isopods, again, it just comes down to that's not a necessity. Now, if you want to do a true bioactive, and it sounds like that's when we, in our conversation, it sounds like exactly what he's doing, which is awesome. I do got to try to give these another shot eventually, so maybe I'll hit him up with some info. But if you're doing a true bioactive, that does involve that extra moist environment. It does involve the fact that you need those cleaner insects. And in that case, that risk might be worth it for you. When I said I was swearing off isopods, the risk was not worth it for me. And part of it is due to the fact, and I think this always needs to be considered when we're talking about risk, why some people take the risk and why some people don't. Some people are very good at being told, hey, that stove is hot, and they won't place their hand on it. They go, hey, buddy, be careful, that stove's hot. Oh, God, I'll keep my hand off it. Some people, and I would probably have to include myself in this to some extent, will look at the hot stove and put their hand on it anyway, burn it and go, ooh, they're right, it's hot. And I think it goes that way with a lot of the things, that the activities that can carry an inherent risk in the tarantula hobby. So here are some of the ones I've listed out. I'm sure there are more, but I just kind of took some of the more popular ones. But these are all things, activities that can lead to a bad scenario, that, that come with inherent risks, or in some cases, risks that aren't necessary to properly keep. So for example, we'll throw crickets in there. We have handling. We have the use of isopods. We have wire mesh covers for enclosures. Mesh vents, that's a a big one. Tong feeding. 10-gallon aquariums used for tarantulas with not enough substrates, too much height for terrestrial species. Leaving feeders in overnight. All of these are situations that a keeper can encounter and carry some deal or some risk, inherent risk with them. So let's talk about handling for a moment. I've handled before. Let's put that out there. I had somebody the other day yell at me and say, yeah, I know you hate handling and you get on people. I have never done that. I get it. I think psychologically, I get it. I understand why people do it. I will flat out call myself out and I handled recently. I love my Jeep poker peas and one of them, I was feeding it and it started climbing out and before I even thought about it, and this is normally not me, but I do know this spider really well, I stuck my hand out and I held it. I took a picture I sent to the billy and I quickly put it back into its enclosure. But should I have done it? No, it goes against what I normally do. And what did I do by handling? I 
put my hand out there. That spider, I thought I knew its temperament. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it starts to fall. We've had situations where the spiders feel like they're slipping. They use their fangs to grip. I could have gotten bitten. So handling, the one of the reasons I avoid handling is A, it does carry the risk of a bite or getting haired. It's, it's, you can't argue it. So you got to look at, do I have to handle my spiders to care for them properly? I would argue, no, you don't. You can, you can completely maintain in a giant collection with never handling a spider and never have an issue with it. However, do people do it? And do some people find it worth the risk? Yes. And that's their decision. There's an inherent risk there. It's one, again, that's one of those things you don't have to do that, but some people decide the risk is worth it. Now, if you were to get bitten, would that change your mind? This goes with the whole theory. You know, some people have to be told that some people can just be told the burner's hot. Some people have to put their hand on it. This would be one of those situations where you have to put your hand on it. I talked to somebody recently that was handling their T. albopilosis for a while. It molted. They fed it a couple times. They stuck their hand in there and immediately tagged them. And they're like, I can't believe this. I'm so shocked. It, she's always been nice. There is that inherent risk. And afterwards, she's like, I don't think I'm going to handle anymore. So this is somebody that did actually experience that negative consequence that kind of flipped that switch in their head and go to make them go, it's not worth it. Now, as far as the isopods, the reason why I took such a hard stance, the first reason why was because I was originally informed there was zero risk, zero risk of them harming any of my animals. And come to find out that's not necessarily true. I do agree that with proper setups, you should be able to mitigate those risks. I'm not going to argue that point at all. I get exactly where you're going with that. I did, you know, one of the things I argued or talked, I won't say argue back, but offered back is my, you know, response was that a lot of people don't know how to set up real bioactive enclosures. So a lot of people are just throwing isopods and springtails in their enclosures, not knowing anything about them. I've heard that you can put like a piece of carrot in a corner and they'll go for that instead of the spider or things. There's little tricks that I'm not going to get into here because I'm not going to instruct people. Maybe we'll have them on someday and you can talk more about it, which would be great. But for me, wasn't worth after seeing what happened with my scorpions finding out that they do crave protein that they will if they the populations explode and the situation is correct for it they can attack living things i did see proof of it this wasn't something where i just ran off and went oh no these guys are going to kill all your spiders not at all but i did see proof it could happen and it happened to me so this was an instance where unfortunately i was never told the burner was hot and i think that's why i came in a little more aggressively and i will admit i i did listen back to the podcast i didn't think i was that bad with it but i came across kind of strong. But I, my biggest issue is that when people are informed to do something, they need to be aware of those risks. And I think in the situation with the isopods, a lot of us were assured this wasn't a possibility and that's not true. The way it should have been presented is these, there is a possibility it might be minute, but there is a possibility and here are the things you can do to correctly mitigate that. But guess what? Nobody's talking about that. Everybody's saying they're completely harmless. And I've had so many people buying up these isopods and just throwing handfuls of them in moist enclosures and they really have no idea what they're doing and they blow up. And I've spoken to other people that said, hey, I just had to take one of my spiders out of the enclosure because I realized the isopods blew up. That could be an issue. So I think that probably needs more clarification there. For folks who are using the isopods, I agree, you need to do your homework, you need to be, you know, find out some of those tips and tricks, find out what it takes to make sure that they don't attack your animals, read up about the fact that if the populations blow up, it can be an issue, and you probably can mitigate those. And for people who are trying to do true bioactive enclosures with their tarantulas, you're probably going to need isopods and springtails, they're an essential ingredient. So that's going to be something you need, but 
unfortunately, a lot of people don't do the research. I was one of them. I just took, I had so many people tell me I just throw these guys in there. Nobody explained to me that there was any type of risk. I want to know about any risk. And that's, I think, an important thing too. With people that use crickets, I guess you do need to be informed of the fact that some folks out there believe, I'm not saying necessarily I'm in this group yet because I haven't seen the evidence, but I'm not, if somebody produces the evidence, I'll be a believer. Some people believe that they can be a vector, they can carry certain types of fungi or, you know, bacteria or parasites to your tarantulas and put them in harm's way. That's something everybody needs to be aware about so they can make an informed decision. I think the issue with the isopods was that I felt like people weren't being made aware of it. And I felt like it was important that people hear my story and understand that this is an issue. So again, my bad on if I went too strong with it, I probably should have phrased it differently, but it, it came across as one of those things where... I was upset because I had, I, I, these things were getting devoured. They were everywhere, and I didn't know about this. And that was pro, that was honestly, we'll put that on me. I should have done more research before I just took opinions. I normally do, but we put them in there. So obviously, people use, and I guess it comes down to again, we got to look at how many people out there using dwarf white isopods in their enclosures without any issues. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are lots of people that do it without any issues. So if you want to use them, if you think it's worth the risk, if you want to do those types of enclosures, I think you should probably reach out to folks who know what they're talking about and find out more about them. I stand by the fact that they are not as harmless as people say they are. They're definitely not anything I'd want accidentally in with some slings, where in the springtails, they're totally fine. These guys are a little more they crave that protein and that's something to keep in mind so you want to be very careful there but if it's something you're interested in don't just go by me i i'm not using them right now we'll see what the future holds and we'll try something out in arboreal i'm guessing it wouldn't be such a big deal but find out do more you know research talk to people that actually use them find out how to use them correctly so so hopefully that clarifies it a little bit. Again, not sure. And and we joked back and forth. I did email him back and he emailed back. The hypocritical part kind of bothered me because I pride myself on not being hypocritical. And everybody everybody steps in something once in a while where, you know, shedding the right light. It's like, well, you said this, but you're doing this. I get it. And I got his point of view too, because nobody wants to sit there, especially if you respect somebody. Like if I respect somebody and I'm listening to something they say and something they say is in complete contrast to what I'm doing and what I'm being successful with. Yeah, that's going to sting a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You're going to feel like they're talking to you. And I think there's a situation here where that probably came across like, you know, he's listening to this podcast, like, wait a minute, what are you talking about, Tom? I do this all the time and it's fine. And I totally get that. And I'm Glad he reached out. And again, I don't know if I, I probably forgot the message early in the podcast, but the fact that this is somebody that found me originally before I was even on YouTube, I think was the coolest thing ever. You've always got my attention if you can talk about being on the website first because that was my baby. That's where all this started. Very proud of the work I did over there and had a lot of fun doing it. I got to get back to it. The big, I keep saying this, but there seems to be more people than ever that are actually reading the articles now, which is great. So I got to start getting some more fresh stuff up there and tweaking some of the other stuff. But anyway, I thought that was really cool. I'm glad he approached me with it because... Again, I'm very, very deliberate in everything I say in a podcast. I am keenly aware that anything that I put on a video or a podcast is there forever to be quoted. It's why I'm so careful with my words. It's why I'm so careful to look at different perspectives when I speak and to try to put in, you know, if somebody's going to have a different argument, I try to address that argument. I try to concede when there's a different way of looking at it. I'm, it's, obs it's an obsession with me to make sure that anything I put on here is well thought out, well explained, researched, 
and that I'm not mincing any words and I'm not causing any confusion. So this is one of those situations where I'm glad that I can kind of revisit that a little bit, go back to it and kind of clarify. I stand by the fact that I won't be using them for the time being because I did not know how to mitigate the issues. I obviously did not use them correctly. I let the population explode, didn't think anything of it. Well, I shouldn't say I didn't think anything of it. I didn't realize it had exploded. I didn't realize it was an issue because I was ill-informed. That's on me. I do stand by. People need to be careful with them. But I guess there's, you know, there's another side of it. Let's look at whether or not that risk is worth it to you. And we'll talk to some people that maybe eventually that actually use them and hear about some of the ways to mitigate them so that we can kind of have more of a, less of a hard stance and more of a, all right, be careful. This is the risk. The choice is up to you whether or not to do it or not. So moving on to a couple of the other things is, and again, I think it just opens up a really neat conversation that we don't have all that much. There's a lot of things out there that are risky that we do, and some people get away with them. One that's come up recently, again, is the wire. We use the Exoterra Nanos and Exoterra Talls or whatever, and they have those wire mesh tops. And the majority of us rip those, or a lot of us, I don't know if it's the majority, a lot of us that have been in the hobby for a while, rip those things out. Because they can be a hazard to tarantulas. Tarantulas, a lot of people don't realize this, have two little claws, at least two that come out of the toes of each of their feet that they use to grip things. And that wire mesh in particular, they those toe claws are so tiny, they get caught in between the mesh and it leaves them dangling. Now, I've had people go, well, it's never happened to me, so I really don't think it's that big of a deal. And it's true. It probably doesn't happen all that often. However, back to that old and, you know, putting your hand on the burner after you're told it was hot. I had one of those 8 by 8 by 8 Exoterra cubes a while back, and I had her in this. I didn't replace the screen. I had heard about it. I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. What are the chances? And lo and behold, came into the tarantula room one morning to find her dangling from the top of that with her toe claws caught. It was a nightmare. I'm lucky she didn't lose a leg. I have been privy to situations, one involving a large T-stermy that was kept in a 20-gallon tank with the screen top. It got its legs caught. The guy came home, found it on the ground, and two of the legs dangling from the top of the thing. It, it, It ripped its own legs off to escape. More recently, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit this because I know better, I rehoused a spider, this was a little while back, into one of the exoterras, and I realized after I put her in it that I forgot to replace the plastic on it. So I'm like, you know what, no big deal, I'll leave it there. And I kind of forgot about it. It was there for a while. And I came home one day, went into the tarantula room, looked up, and there's my P. gigas with her toe claws caught in the vent, scrambling to get them out another nightmare. And this was an arboreal. The one big thing that people had said before is that it's more of an, and I've, I've used this myself, go back through my stuff. I've said that it's more of a risk for terrestrials than it is for arboreals. The arboreals seem to have no issue with it. Well, she got caught in it for a little while and it got icky because this is not a spider you want aggravated at you while you're trying to get it down. I was able to flip the cage kind of on its side, which was, it was just a nightmare situation. And luckily she got away. I learned my lesson. I replaced it. So I put my hand on that burner twice. I'm an idiot. See, I'm calling it out. So those are situations right there where, again, is it likely that this will happen? Probably not. Can it happen? Yes. And I've proven it twice myself. And I've been privy to many other situations when it happened. So I think it's something you have to look at like that. But unfortunately, and I did, I'm guilty of this myself, so I'm not judging anybody. Unfortunately, some of us will do it until it ends up biting us in the butt. And that's the risk versus, you know, the what is the reward? I saved some time 
be having to swap out the tops of these enclosures. The risk part is I could lose a spider that way. So that's something always to consider. As far as the mesh vents, again, I had people when I first got in the hobby tell me they could chew through mesh vents. I picked up some cages. They had the wire mesh vents on them. There were acrylic enclosures. I'm like, that ah, won't be a big deal. And I have video out there of what my LP did to those vents. She chewed right through it. If there hadn't been another enclosure directly next to that one to kind of block it off, she would have been out. Not to mention she could have hurt her fangs doing it because that's not healthy for the spider to be chewing that kind of stuff so the mesh vents i've had people go well, what are the chances of that with slings not really much at all with juveniles again not much at all with adults would not use mesh vents in there but people are going to continue doing it tong feeding came up in our discussion and that's another good one i think people will tong feed they don't realize the two issues with tong feeding the risk that you're running number one that this tarantula grabs onto the tongs and snaps a fang it has happened is it likely no have i had a situation where a tarantula came out and i heard its fang clink off the thing Yes, so it's something to keep in mind. The other thing, again, talking about, you know, the risks, inherent risks involved, them sprinting up the tongs. I have a video recently where I was rehousing my, what was it, my Somopius Ecclesiasticus, and she ran right up the paintbrush. People don't realize that the more agile species can run right up a pair of tongs, and next thing you know, it, you have a spider that was going for a prey item with the fangs bared on your hand. Not a good situation. So that's what something. So there's concern for the safety of the animal, and there's concern for the safety of the keeper when doing something like that. Now, will people continue to tong feed? Yes, a lot of them like the closeness, love the fact that the spiders are taking it right from the tongs. In that instance, I can tell you it's a situation where they're like, what are the likelihood of this? I, it's, it's worth the risk for me to be able to interact that close with my animals, but I have talked to people in the past that have been bitten because of that and they don't do it anymore. So again, it might be put your hand on the burner thing. It might not. It's just one of those situations where you as a keeper have to decide if you're going to assume that risk, if the risk is worth it to you. 10 gallon aquariums or tall aquariums for tarantulas back in the day, you know, when tarantulas were finding their way into the pet store and hobby market there wasn't anything out there. Nobody was making acrylic cages. They didn't have exoterras. Basically, you picked up a tarantula, you stuck it in a 10-gallon aquarium. You probably got some terrible care sheet that told you you just need to throw some sand or something down, and you put the tarantula in it, and the tarantula is great, right? Well, unfortunately, those aquariums can be quite tall, I believe 10 to 12 inches, and if you only put a couple inches of substrate in it, what you have is a an area that is much too tall for a terrestrial to climb and possibly fall from because at a, a people don't realize, especially some of the beginner species that get quite fat and chubby, they can fall and burst their abdomens. So everybody, you know, a lot of people will set up stuff and I've done it. I've been guilty of it. I had the queen and something for a while that was kind of short for her and I had to go through and add more. It was kind of a mess. I, I put in cocoa fiber, it settled completely. And what it left with was a, was a decent amount of height. So I had to fix that. But we've all done it, and it's you think it's not going to be a risk. And I've had people give me the you know the old well, mine never climbs, which can be tricky because a lot of times you come in at night, you find out your tarantula is climbing. A lot of tarantulas will do some exploring and climbing, especially when they first get in the enclosure. Now there are situations, obviously, and this is what happens: somebody puts it in a ten-gallon tank, they've had it in there for ten years, the tarantula has never climbed, and it never gets hurt. And in which case, for them, it's not a risk. It doesn't seem like a realistic risk. And I'm guessing a lot of people have kept them that way and not had any issues or incidences where the spider's gotten hurt. However, I can tell you for a fact, I have heard of situations and been contacted by people who have kept them in tanks. They're like, I don't know what's wrong with my tarantula. There's fluid leaking out of its abdomen. It's curled up in the corner. And I take a look and what you end up having is a 10-gallon tank with, usually it's not, 
the actual height itself that does it because 12 inches, that's obviously if you take a couple inches away from substrate, it's 10 inches. If the spider falls, it's a decent height, but usually they can survive it. The problem is you have water dishes in there. You have people that put like pineapples, decoration, sharp objects. And what'll happen is the tarantula will climb up the side, fall and fall on one of these objects. And I've been privy to situations where the tarantula is in a cage where there's a bunch of decorations. One of them, they had built Lego like it was like a Lego setup where they did all their decorations on Legos, which obviously they're sharp, they're pointy and the tarantula had fallen and probably struck its abdomen on the corner of one of these and it bled out. There was another situation where they had done like a tropical theme and I want to say it was a SpongeBob pineapple. There was something in there that was just an accident waiting to happen. And the tarantula again climbed, it slipped and fell. It wasn't so much the height that got it. It was the decorations, but the combination of the two, I mean, again, if you have a water dish in there, it could strike itself on the side of a water dish the tarantula died. So can it happen? Absolutely. Is it common? No. Once again, we're looking at what is, is the risk worth it? Uh, finally, leaving feeders in there. We've gone through this ad nauseum. You're never supposed to leave feeders in. I am sure everybody out there has at one point or another when I'm sure it'll be gone in the morning. I'll check back later. Or you forget, you drop them in, you come back later on, you're like, oh, crud, forgot about that. And some of us have been bitten in the butt. I'm fortunate enough that I've never had a feeder eat a molting tarantula. It's usually not, they're not going to hurt them if they're healthy. It's when you have a molting, drop a feeder in, it doesn't eat it because it's in pre-molt or molting. And the cricket craving moisture finds that tarantula. It's all nice and gooey because it just molted and starts feasting on it. This does happen. I've, again, many examples of this actually happening, people losing them. One case, the guy put, uh, it was a cricket in with a sling. He waited for the sling to come out, waited for the sling to come out. Sling never came out, never found the sling, but the cricket got quite fat and grew and molted. What does that tell you? So there's another situation where, and I think that one's completely avoidable most times, but I think we've all been guilty before and I'm hoping some people out there will agree with me. I will throw myself under the bus. I've done it where you've dropped crickets in. You watch the, you're like, oh, it's going to eat later on and you forget and you come back later on, the cricket's still there. That's always a concern. Dropping the other one is the superworms. It can actually bite. I have one of my videos there. I was feeding superworms to my tarantulas. I couldn't get crickets and I didn't have enough roaches. So I bought some superworms and I just threw it in there and somebody pointed out, hey, by the way, right here at this this timestamp, that thing's biting your tarantula. And like, look at it, I'm like, oh my God, it really is. Those are ones that can, they will burrow and they can find a tarantula and they will eat the tarantula if the tarantula is molting. Not a healthy tarantula. A healthy tarantula can take care of itself, but one that is currently in pre-molt or molting. So again, risk. It comes down to, are you willing to risk it? What is, I think the things you need to look at is how likely is it? And what are the consequences? In some cases, the consequences are death. Is that worth it? For a lot of people, it's going to be no. For other people, unfortunately, it'll be the old, I need to put my hand on that burner first to find out it's hot. I also think in some cases, it comes down to the necessity. That always needs to be taken into consideration. In terms of the crickets, for me, it's currently, for some people, it's going to be a necessity. They're going to need to use crickets because they can't find the roaches that other people are able to access. So in that case, they're going to have to take that chance and hope that it isn't true, that at least if it is true, it isn't common, but hope that their tarantulas aren't going to catch something from the crickets. I think that comes down to it. Do we have to hold the tarantula? No, we don't. Do we have to tong feed tarantulas? No, we don't. These are things that people, and again, I'm not weighing in on whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying there are things that aren't necessary to correctly keep the animals. Do you need to keep them in a 10-gallon aquarium? I've had people go to me before, well, all I have is a 10-gallon aquarium. And I've gone, well, drive down the Walmart, take out a five-spot, pick up a Sterilite bin, and you're golden. You don't have to worry about it. Oh, I don't like the way it looks. Well, in that case, you're making a decision that aesthetics is more important than a possible issue with your tarantula falling and getting hurt. So those are things you have to look at. So 
I think this, uh, what I loved about this email is it made me re-examine something that I'd kind of taken a pretty hard stance on before. Again, I'm not back. I want to make it very clear. This isn't me stepping away going, yep, never mind, use them. It's saying that I shouldn't, I should leave it up to interpretation for people that want to do the research, see how to correctly set up. And we're not talking again, this isn't throwing a pothos in some dirt in an enclosure, watering it occasionally and dumping a bunch of isopods in. Do your research into what a true bioactive is. And a true bioactive, if I'm not mistaken, there should be enough stuff for the isopods to feast on that that shouldn't become an issue for the tarantula. I think that's where we're going with that one. And that's something that I failed to mention in the last time I addressed this. So again, that's how you mitigate that. But there's a lot more work than just dumping a plant in there, throwing some feeder insects in there, throwing your spider in there and going, yay, it's bioactive. It's kind of driving me nuts because a lot of people, even some of the ones I referred to, I erroneously referred to as bioactives that I've done are just a plant in there. They're not, the bioactive ones I had were mostly a miserable failure. I was terrible at it. I got to try again, but that's a distinction I need to make. And with the crickets, again, guys, do some research when it comes up that when something like that comes up, I know, again, it kind of comes back to, you know, the, the opening of this. We all, obviously I'm doing podcasts, I'm doing YouTubes videos. I do the the website. I hope that I've built enough of a reputation around myself that people know what they're getting when they go to my materials. And other people have done the same. They appreciate, they look at that person, they respect them, they listen to what they have to say. And that's totally okay. But always take everything with a grain of salt. If somebody says, I, I tell people all the time, they'll just take my word for it, go do some research because I've done it. And I think what you're going to find is exactly what I'm saying, but you should never just, I could go out there. What happens? I go off the deep end and just start saying weird stuff and seeing if people follow it. You, you can't just take everybody's word, one person's word and run with it and go, yep, that's it. Always go out there, do some more research. That's why I love when people go on my videos and they'll go, Hey, I just looked this one up and I just went over to this person's video and I went over to Tarantula Haven and I looked at his like, great. There's another great dude in the hobby and look at his stuff. And I went over here and looked at how this person was keeping it. Awesome. That's great. It means they're not just going by me. That should never be what happens. I'd like to think again, I try to put the best stuff out there possible. I try to keep everything accurate, but I also have always encouraged people to do more. Don't just make me your one stop, go out and do more research. So when a YouTuber says, Hey, all of my crickets, you know, I'm not using crickets anymore. They've made, and and I think it brings up, you know, again, it's a valid point to bring up that that could be a risk. If that's what they think happened, that's I'm not arguing their perspective on it. I'm not arguing their hypothesis. I'm just thinking you need to do a little more looking into it before you immediately go, oh, and I'm done with crickets because they're evil. So that's why I think in my mind, I didn't see the cricket thing as really comparable to the isopods because it's like it's like an urban legend to me. It's like something you always hear about. It keeps popping up, but yet it's always a friend of a friend of a friend. That you know, my sister's boyfriend's husband lost his whole tarantula collection to it. I always think that's something that one of the ones actually one of the ones I went back and did some more research again because again, every time I get one of these, I don't just fire off a response. My first gut instinct, and I will admit to this, when somebody sends me something like this is, oh God, something new's out there and I missed it. I've been leading people astray. <laughs> like, has there been a new report on these? And so I went out, did some more research. There was ones where people, and I had this happen, I believe, with the one that I had DKS with many, many years ago, the ointments that we were using, the flea and tick control for the dogs, like the front line, I think it was called, the stuff you put down the bat, the backs, people were getting their crickets and stuff infected with that it was going to the the tarantulas and you were getting dks and they were thinking they were getting viruses from it when actually it was pesticides obviously pesticides and anything can kill your tarantulas herbicides can kill your tarantulas so things like that if they were contaminated say your your crickets came through the mail and were contaminated with something that's a possibility 
Again, there could be things, issues that we don't know about. Hopefully, as more research is done, we figure it out. But I just wouldn't immediately jump to moving away from crickets because of these instances. Again, I've had mysterious deaths in my collection. And I always, I had one, as a matter of fact, I'll throw one out there. I was using hissing cockroaches for a while for feeders for some of my tarantulas. And I gave a hissing cockroach to my L. Itabune. It ate the hissing cockroach and it appeared to become ill afterwards. And in the back of my mind, I was like, was that? from the hissing cockroach it was like it it looked like it was in a death curl at one point I gave it water you know more water I I moistened down its enclosure I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it luckily it ended up molting eventually pulling out of it it's been eating fine but when that happened my first thought was was it the feeder so I think we've all been there where you you We've said it a million times. They're not the most expressive creatures in the world. By the time something's seriously wrong with them, it's often too late. And then we're left to go back and try to troubleshoot and figure out when did this start and why did it start having no signs that it even started in the first place. It can be very frustrating, very difficult. So awesome email. I mean, again, one that gave me a lot of thought, got me researching again, jumping on, trying to find the cricket stuff, you know, trying to think again about some of the things I've done. I've risked it. I'm I'm guilty. I'll I'll throw it right out there. This isn't me going, you know, you guys should all know better. No, I've done it and done it when I knew better. So we've all been there. I think it just comes down to personally, I think for some people, the risk is inherently not worth it. For others, it is. I also think you need to take into consideration how prevalent the risk is. If it's one in a billion, it might not be something you worry much about. If it's a little more prevalent and it's a little more possible, then you start giving it more thought. And I also think for some of us, unfortunately, we do need to put our hands on that burner after we're told. So there's going to be the group of people out there that that do it not out of, they're not trying, purposely trying to jeopardize their animals. I want to make that very, very clear. We don't want to jump all over them for it. They just don't think it's that much of a big deal. It's a matter of perspective in their mind. It's not a huge possibility. Then they do it. Something goes wrong and they change their line of thinking. And one thing I've been fortunate with, I probably should mention this. I kind of get to learn vicariously through others now because ever since doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff, I do get the emails about things, tarantulas falling and hurting themselves or getting their feet caught in the mesh or chewing through wire stuff. So even though I didn't put my hand on that burner personally, I was right there and saw the pictures of when somebody else put their hand on the burner. So I can learn from that. So that's been helpful for me as well to recognize this stuff. So please understand when I talk about things like this, I'm not just, I'm drawing from not only my own personal experience, but the experience of many keepers I've interacted with over the last several years, which is great because it allows me to have a little more when I start talking about this stuff to be able to go, well, it hasn't happened to me, but I heard it can happen. I can go, no, I have the emails to prove it. So Again, thank you so much for the email. I did not mention your name only because I, I didn't I couldn't figure out if it was okay to or not. But if you want me to go back and say it, but thank you. A thank you for listening to me for so long. Thank you for being there for the you know the website. That's amazing. I know there's a handful of people out there that found me way back in the day when I first started that are still around. And every time I see one, it's just such a cool feeling to know that we've actually, you know this person's still around, still listening to me. It makes me feel like what I'm doing is is right and, and useful. And it, you establish some great friendships that way, which has been great. So that's absolutely amazing. And the fact that you found me now in the podcast and you get through the podcast, totally cool because I often have this image in my head that people after a while go, you know, I'm really sick of listening to Tom. I'm going to figure this stuff out on my own. So it's, it's great knowing that they, people are still into it after that many years. And I appreciate you coming forward and sharing that perspective on it and making me revisit it and kind of, 
present another side of it and another perspective that maybe I wasn't careful enough to present the first time I covered the topic. And I think it just led into a good lead into that's something as a hobbyist. And, and I guess the final message of this one would be as a hobbyist, that's something you're going to have to learn is how to do recognize the risks, evaluate whether the risks are worth it. And when you do decide to do something that carries some risk with it, be able to mitigate the possibility of that risk having a negative outcome with, you know, by being informed and taking all the precautions so that hopefully you don't end up putting your hand on that burner after everybody told you not to. So that should do it for this one. Obviously, back to our original point for those of you, I got a funny feeling all the people that just jumped on to see if this was going to be, you know, more fuel added to what has become quite frankly, a gross little dumpster fire. Hopefully they all went off and realized it's not going to happen. I just want to thank everybody that reached out. Trust me, we're okay. Billy was a little upset over the whole development, but uh, again, when your mate and somebody you've been with for years and she knows how passionate I am, she knows how much thought I put into this stuff behind the scenes. Here's, you know, some disparaging things. It's difficult, but I kept trying to tell her it's kind of funny. It was amusing because it just kind of, Go through it. It's all there. Everything I said, <laughs> whatever. Um, but again, thank you. A lot of people reached out. There's one person in particular. She knows exactly who she is. I'm not going to mention her name, but reached out and I had an absolutely fantastic. She actually covered my butt for an earlier thing that I got to thank her for and I'm not going to get into it. But she reached out and really it was one of those situations where you got a perspective and it's like, thank you. Somebody, I wasn't wrong. I just, you know who you are. Thank you so much for reaching out. I truly appreciate it. And I, I don't think you, I, I know I kept gushing and saying thank you, but I really, it really was the final thing that was just allowed me to just kind of go, oh, whatever. Like I was already leaning to oh, whatever. Um, again, I did this, I just posted a feeding video up and I, a lot of times when I, I don't do a lot of feeding videos and when I put them up, I tend to attract people that never watched my stuff before because feeding videos are fun. Me sitting there digging up a spider for 20 minutes and talking about it, not so much fun to people that aren't totally into spiders yet. So every once in a while we do one. I honestly do them because the people that subscribe to my channel, like it gives Billy and I a chance to kind of let our real personalities come out. I'm not that dry in real life. And obviously I think we have an amazing, amazing chemistry, which is why we've been together for over a quarter of a century. But it's also to kind of give people that, you know, see some of the stuff I have. It allows people to go, oh, you have one of those? Could you do a husbandry video on it? It allows us to have some fun. And again, one of the perks of it, not trying to do this, but every time I put one up, we get new people in. And so I kind of did an intro on that where I explained what I'm about because I think people have a very difficult time understanding. And I've run into this quite a bit. I do not consider myself a pet tuber. I do not consider myself a YouTuber. It makes me cringe because of the negative I won't even call them stereotypes. A lot of people that do the pet tubing and YouTubing and not all of them. I want to make this very clear. I have friends that are YouTubers that do this, that I think do it right. I adore them and think they were awesome people and do not blame them at all for having a profitable YouTube channel. I want to make that very, very clear because I, I, people grab this and immediately start applying it to different people. That's not what it's about. My point is I don't do this stuff for money. I don't do this for popularity. Anybody that knows me laughs at this because I could care less what people think about me. My goal is in the bottom of the day, be as mad at me as you want. Was the information correct? If if you say no, 
I'm going to feel like an idiot and you're definitely going to get a podcast of me going, I'm so sorry for screwing up. But the personality thing, I don't do. This isn't a thing for me to get subscribers. This isn't a thing for me to go, oh, look at how many thousands of people I have over here. For me, how I judge how well I did is at the end of the day, the people that come back and go, you helped me out years ago. And now I have 200. I just had a guy tell me I've been following you for years and he has 200 tarantulas now. It's as much as I got. Like, holy crud, that's awesome. And people that come out and say, you know what? I didn't know this, but you gave me a different perspective or I set this one up and raised it for a sling. Those are the things that feed me because, and again, I think the teachers out there will understand this more. As a teacher, you're not always being told you did a good job. You have to kind of be intrinsically motivated and you have to recognize at the end of the day, that student walked in and left a better person and a smarter person and a more logical thinker as a result of interacting with me. And I don't mean that in a, oh, look how great I am sort of way, but it's kind of how you evaluate it. Like, I did some good. I did something. So as far as the Tom's Big Spiders stuff, I don't care. I'm not in here for a popularity con- uh, contest. That is the, the lack of a better term, lamest thing on the planet. It's, it's embarrassing. I hate and some people have, in, uh, have encountered this. They'll come up and say, I'm a huge fan. I kind of ignore the whole thing. Don't be a fan. If, if you enjoy my teaching, that's great. Just let me know your question. I'll answer it. I don't, that stuff makes, makes it all icky. So I did go on and kind of explain what I'm about. And I just, again, the reason, one of the reasons I don't need to address this is I know that anybody that spends, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of their week listening to me has to be pretty serious about the hobby. And obviously, gets what I'm trying to do. I always use that comment. Thank you for getting, and I'll sometimes put it in quotes, what I'm trying to do because they're understanding. I'm not selling t-shirts. I'm not asking people to send me free stuff. I bet it's one of the reasons I buy everything that I try to re- you know, review so that folks know I spent my money on it and it wasn't just handed to me. And uh, and again, I hate having to point this stuff out, but it's stuff that makes me different and it's a huge part of what I do. And it's what I point to when situations come up like what happened this week where you just go, all right, you know what? You guys are smart people. Look at the motivations. Look at look at what might motivate somebody to do something. What what motivated me to put out a podcast? What motivated other people to do what they did? And just use some common sense to look at it. And I think that the picture is all very, very clear. So again, thank you all that obviously used your, you know, your brains. You saw the situation for what it was. You used logic. You didn't get caught up. Don't let, don't get, and I guess my final message would be this. When something pops off, don't get caught up in defending the personalities. It's, it shouldn't ever be about the personalities. Look at the issue. Look at the issue at hand. This is the problem we have nowadays is that people rally behind a person rather than looking at the cause or the issue. Use your brain, go through, and I'm not telling you, you guys all know, but I just wish people would just look at the issue and go, oh, when we take this out of it, this is what we're looking at, and that makes a lot of sense. Try to do that. Don't make it about people. That We don't need any of that. Again, we don't need partisanship here. It's one of the reasons I'm like done with the whole thing. Moving on, we'll continue doing it. If there's a situation in the future where I think I can affect some type of change because something is going wrong, I will address it. It's, it's just... I love the hobby too much. I love what I'm doing too much. I enjoy this too much. I enjoy interacting with people like yourself too much to just let that get ruined. So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders YouTube. I did just post up a feeding video with some, I think, pretty cool spiders in it. If you guys want to check out and see a video and see Billy and I kind of have some fun. Although the sound went out on it. I think my mic broke in halfway through the day. I always wear a you wear a lapel mic or whatever. It's level the air, level the air. I can't pronounce it. The little mic you plug on your shirt anyway, because it allows you to catch my voice. But in this case, you get a lot more Billy because the thing broke halfway through and we didn't get my voice through a lot of it. So the good news is you can hear both of us this time. That's the only problem with me using the mic is you don't always get to hear what Billy says. And that's some of the funniest stuff sometimes. So 
feel free to check that one out. Um, guys, stay civil to each other. Don't get caught up in this. Seriously, just let it go. It, it's, I, I think enough people are starting to see what really is going on, and, and that's great. And I think, again, some people have contacted me after listening to last week's podcast and went, oh, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. So thank you to you guys, too. Guys, take care of yourselves. We'll catch you all next time.